Introduction of Maccabee's Art of Ventriloquism and Vocal Illusions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shante Elliott. Maccabee's Art of Ventriloquism and Vocal Illusions by Frederick Maccabee. Maccabee's Art of Ventriloquism and Vocal Illusions, with full directions to learners how to acquire a pleasing vocalization, showing how to begin and practice marvelous illustrations of ventriloquism, with amusing dialogues for beginners, including the repertoire of the English Railway Porter, as performed by Frederick Maccabee in his celebrated Mimical, Musical, and Ventriloquial Entertainment, Begone Dull Care. Where should this be? Is the air or the earth? This is no mortal business, nor no sound that the earth owes. I hear it now above me. What is it? A spirit. Lord, how it looks about. Believe me, sir, it carries a brave form. But tis a spirit. No, it eats and sleeps, and hath such senses as we have. Such. The Tempest. Introduction the art of ventriloquism is an accomplishment so rare, so little practiced, and so little understood that its possessor is considered a rara avis. Like the art's music and mimicry, it affords, especially to the uninitiated, an intellectual diversion, and is productive of a vast fund of pleasing and wonderful entertainment. And yet, unlike those, it has but few representatives of celebrity. One reason is, probably, the want of information concerning it, for it is remarkable what an amount of misconception prevails respecting the nature of its operations. The object of these pages is to convey, from personal experience, some knowledge of the mysteries in which it is enshrouded. Popular notions are current and accepted that the ventriloquist can throw his voice anywhere within the range of hearing and make it explode at pleasure at any given pace, like a bullet from an air gun. A perusal of these pages will help to dispel this common delusion and show what charms, what conjurations, and what mighty magic there are in it. It is, of course, beyond human possibility to make these dead pages speak outright. The most elaborate and well-defined description utterly fails to give the resonance of the full-toned vocal organs, swelling with volumes of sound, or the modulations of their tone as they are subsiding their vibrations on the senses. As well might one try to taste mustard by merely whispering the word. Where the things themselves are wanting, it is useless to listen or to attempt to taste. So. Likewise, it is impossible to convey in words the indescribable art of the mimic, by which, with one touch of nature, in a tone, a glance, or a grimace, in a turn, a twist, or a shrug, he may set the table in a roar. It is not to be supposed, therefore, that these pages can give voice and mimetic power where these are wanting or that they will make a ventriloquist of any casual reader 
any more than giving him a pipe to play upon is sufficient to enable him to discourse most eloquent music for it cannot command any utterance of harmony but so far as explaining the mode whereby such skill may be acquired the following instructions will serve to encourage and draw out the latent talent of any one whose disposition is toward acquiring and perfecting himself as a good speaker and ventriloquist during the season of eighteen seventy one to eighteen seventy two while i was lessee of the charing cross theatre london the subject of ventriloquism was a topic of considerable discussion and interest among many circles and societies in the metropolis of great britain this was evinced by numerous communications and inquiries addressed to scientific and quasi-scientific journals the editors of one of these lead and water wrote to me asking me to answer the various letters addressed to him on the subject the following letter of mine was published in his paper on the twentieth of december eighteen seventy one to the editor of land and water sir the questions of your various correspondents on the subject of ventriloquism do not admit of a simple and direct reply there is no art so little understood and so much misunderstood as the art called ventriloquism the popular belief that the ventriloquist throws his voice is an error that most fictitious of all fictions valentine vox is founded on and has done much to propagate this error the very name of the art ventriloquism or belly speaking is believed by many to be a misnomer the learned and careful critic of the time in a notice of my performance at the st james hall london three years ago speaks of it as the art to which ignorance still gives the name ventriloquism but sir david brewster in his letters on natural magic ingeniously defends the name he says that ventriloquism loses its distinctive character if its imitations are not performed by a voice from the belly the voice indeed does not actually come from that region but when the ventriloquist utters sounds from the larynx without moving the muscles of his face he gives them strength by a powerful action of the abdominal muscles hence he speaks by means of his belly although the throat is the real source from which the sounds proceed this in my opinion proves that the term ventriloquism is correct or as nearly correct as any which exigencies of terminology can supply most ventriloquists believe or pretend to believe in order to favour the belief in others that they have a natural gift and a special power of throwing the voice so as to make it sound in any spot they choose the smallest knowledge of acoustics or a little reflection without the smallest knowledge of the principles of acoustics will show the absurdity of this belief in an impossibility that sir david brewster was not entirely free from this belief may be seen from the following passage in his letters he says the influence over the human mind which is the ventriloquist derives from the skilful practice of his art is greater than that which is exercised by any other species of conjurer the ordinary magician requires his theatre his accomplices and the instruments of his art and 
he enjoys but a local sovereignty within the precincts of his own magic circle the ventriloquist on the contrary has the supernatural always at his command in the open fields as well as in the crowded city in the private apartments as well as the public hall he can summon up innumerable spirits and though the persons of his fictitious dialogue are not visible to the eye yet they are as unequivocally present to the imagination of his audience as if they had been shadowed forth in the silence of a spectral form i hope i will not be charged with presumption when i say that sir david brewster in his admiration of and the pleasure which he has derived from hearing m alexander of whom he speaks in enthusiastic terms and whom i am bound to believe was the greatest ventriloquist ever known has allowed his imagination to mislead him into exaggeration all the illusions of ventriloquism depend very much upon the imagination of the hearer the power of imitating sounds is only a part of the art the effect of ventriloquism is a creation of the imagination produced by a deception of the ear and the eye the attention of the hearers must be caught by little indescribable actions and tricks of manner and directed to the spot from whence the sound is supposed to proceed the effect to be produced must be suggested to the mind at the moment that the sound is imitated and the imagination of the audience thus made to help in the illusion though a man may possess all the physical requisites for ventriloquism viz a power of imitating sound and abnormal strength in the larynx the tonsils and the abdominal muscles he would be no more a ventriloquist than with the possession of paint brushes and palette he would be a painter these physical requisites are i believe possessed by most people in a greater or less degree and are capable of development the power of catching and directing the attention of suggestion to the mind of the audience by almost imperceptible gesture of exciting their imagination without apparent act these are requisites not easily acquired and form the great difficulty in the way of laying down rules and exercises for the acquirement of the power of ventriloquism fred maccabee charing cross theatre since writing the above i have devoted much time and study to the subject in listening to and noting the various opinions and theories of imperfect amateur observers for the art of observation requires training and reading the many scientific treatises on the voice and ventriloquism the latter with one exception i have found to be worthless either for explaining the nature of or teaching the art of ventriloquism the exception is a little book entitled letters on natural magic by sir david brewster addressed to sir walter scott published by harper brothers new york in this book there is one letter on ventriloquism which is distinguished by elegance of style and a strange mixture of keen perception scientific analysis and enthusiastic simplicity of credulity all this listening noting and reading has modified my opinion expressed in the first phrase of my letter to land and water i said 
there is no art so little understood and so much misunderstood as the art called ventriloquism i withdraw the phrase little understood and adhere more strongly to the phrase much misunderstood sir david brewster and all other sincere writers on the subject have written from the position of the deceived hearer i have not found anything written by one of the deceivers worthy of a moment's consideration they seem to me to be all written with the purpose of keeping up and strengthening the deception after many years of practice and observation i am convinced that this art is not the result of any special peculiar formation of the vocal organs it is not a gift in the common acceptation of the term that it requires certain special qualities of voice and ear is beyond a doubt but these qualities are such as most people possess the qualities required for a ventriloquist are flexibility ordinary strength in the cartilaginous membrane of the throat and the muscles of abdominal regions and a power of imitativeness it will be readily conceded that these qualities are possessed by the majority of people who have no physical defect in these organs but the power of imitativeness is dependent on a combination of qualities of the ear and the voice the correct imitation of sounds depends entirely upon the ear a person possessed of the most perfect and highly trained vocal organs if he have a defective ear can neither sing in tune nor imitate sounds correctly though he be endowed with every other requisite for mimicry the province of the ear in relation to the production of sounds is very clearly and ably treated of by dr pardee in a paper called the physical requirements of song published in the lotos leaves new york eighteen seventy five end of introduction <laughs>